Welcome to the Beef Up After Party. What up? Can we, you just talk us through what's about to happen here? Carnage. I'm not a big drinker, so this could get interesting. <laughs> I'm sorry if this microphone wears. Am I supposed to be serious or not on this? So it'll be basically be the same system. The same system. But, but without yeah. the total web meltdown. Okay, long story short, basically we screwed it up. Because this festival hasn't broken me enough. Oh, f*** it, motorbikes. <laughs> Welcome, Matthew and Nick. How are you boys going? Good. Pretty good, Wesley. And Pretty excited. Matt, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. you it, was, entered, it was hard work. You've and, entered um, fatherhood. Took, yeah, how, what did you have yeah. to do? Oh, honestly. Whoa, 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 whoa. He's not a dad until we've seen the DNA test. We know Laura's a mum, but until it's legit, he's just a bloke who knows someone who's got a baby. And I'll tell you what, if you would have told me that at two o'clock this morning, I would have been like, you know what? I'm all up for the test and, you know, it's yours. Keep it. Well, so things, so the first, the first week or so has been great. Oh, look, it's been pretty, pretty. It's it's been a been a whirlwind, that's for sure. Um, nothing that anyone has ever told me has come true yet. Uh, it's it's either been worse or better than what they said, depending. Um, but yeah, no, we're settling into it, and um, yeah, little Isla for those who haven't met her. And uh, actually, one of the coolest things was I got some wicked photos of the birth. I did see um, that. That was actually like oh, yeah. a huge. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. It was a cisection, by the way. It wasn't um it wasn't as weird as it sounded if you hadn't seen the photo. <laughs> so she she worked so much. <laughs> You weren't so much emotional support, more sort of there to document things. I'm oh, a photojournalist. You know, like Laura actually had like a mirror watching as well at the same time. So I'm, she's like watching and she's like, wow, that's so cool. And I'm like, wow, the photos. And yeah, it was actually pretty cool. We, we were both like, it was like a nature documentary. We were having a ball. Wow. Okay. You, so you've, you photographed it, you didn't film it. No, I didn't film it. Didn't. In fact, actually, even our anaesthetist had Laura's phone taking pictures. So we had like... Yeah, it was, we had like a whole posse up on this side of the sheet. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. Angles. Yeah, all we've got multiple of, angles. Yeah, it's pretty cool. All sorts of different angles. So yeah. we are here to discuss one of the age-old quandaries in photography. Should I specialize or should I diversify what I shoot? But before, before we get into that, with our whole situation, restrictions are easing and people are going back to work. Lots of stuff is changing. So I know a lot of people are going to be very interested to find out what the latest about the festival this year will be. So Nick, Mother Beefop, are we having the festival? Spreadsheet. He's got <laughs> yeah. a spreadsheet. Are we having it? When are we having it? How much is it going to cost? What are the dates? When can we buy tickets? And I'll just say before you start, Nick, don't say anything dumb. <laughs> don't, don't say anything that we can't like... <laughs> Backtrack on. Temp- I know you had a. I know you had a crap day, but just temper your enthusiasm here and and use facts. It's all on. Hundred percent on as normal. Hundred percent on as normal. Daniel Andrews. We're going for it. Full on a thousand people, and we're holding in an igloo. <laughs> and, and and one of the activities is photography cuddle party. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> Love it. Sounds exciting. When you said don't say anything stupid, yeah, that's what you meant, was it? Mm. Well, it was a version of that. Yeah, it sort of played out a little differently in my head. So Matt wants to spoil the party, doesn't want us to run it this year. I'm just going to be busy with a kid, that's all. This is controversial. <laughs> no, no, the, 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 the truth is I'm Mr. Sensible Pants and Matt's all for, for getting this, uh, this full on. 
we've had many discussions and I think the, the, the problem is we just don't know yet. I'd love to say that we knew. I think we're both very eagerly optimistic that something will happen, but what that thing is, is kind of still a bit vague. I guarantee Matt's face now when I've said guarantee. <laughs> I a, guarantee. A strong word. That we, Matt and I, in bright, with photographers doing something beefoppy. Now, that might be 10 of us, but it might be 500. Yeah. Oh, that's, I like, okay, I can deal with that. I can live with that. Yep. Good answer. Good okay, answer. There's, there's margin for movement there, clearly, which is good. So, what are the, as we understand it now, when we go to next stage restriction lifting and we're looking at that sort of time frame of September, what are we thinking restrictions are going to be at by then? Well, I think the problem is that we're, we're, we're huggers, you know? Uh-huh. So um, social distancing that, that's a, is going to be a, a problem. problem. No, um, I think the restrictions themselves still look like they, I think as far as I've said, the restrictions would affect BFOP in a massive way, but whether we can adapt BFOP to what that looks like. Um, but keep in mind, unfortunately, the wet blanket part of this is it's not necessarily also our decision because you have to ensure a festival and stuff like that. And there's other little bits that need to get sorted out. But I think we're, we're both pretty optimistic. I think that we will, we'll not optimistic. We will be doing something. It might be like less than five of us at five meters apart, you know, with like plastic screens between us, but we'll be on Buffalo. Yeah, sure. Cause I think, have they announced anything other than, was it July at some point in Victoria, they go to a hundred people at a venue yeah. or an event. So they End haven't announced anything further than that, have they? No. Nothing beyond 100 people. So that's obviously no. makes it difficult. I think the other thing we could do, though, if we really wanted to get around it, if we just invite some NRL players, then they'll probably just give us an exemption and we'll be able to run whatever we want. So, yeah. Do we know anyone from the Storm? I reckon Nick does. No, I don't. Don't hang out with those scum. <laughs> Okay, moving on. So, yes. Specialising or diversifying. Now, yeah. we're going to have an open discussion about this. It's not necessarily going to be an argument for or against either side, but we do have Matt who shoots every facet of photography known to man and some that are unknown to man, but he still shoots them. And Nick, who pretty much shoots motorbikes and stars. And pretty crap landscapes. That's yeah, right. and pretty crap stars. Actually, my motorbikes aren't great either, to be honest. I didn't want to. I didn't want to throw the landscapes in there. That's why I stuck to motorbikes. Just specialise in iPhoneography, and you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you? Uh, you start off well. You've just insulted one tenth of our audience, Matt. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Um. Yes. Well, you are. You're a specialist. I'd say it's. Specialist is a pretty broad word. Should you define special? How would you define specialist? Because I think that that's a, this is like when people say professional photographer and for those who can't say, I'm doing like little inverted finger mm -hmm. thingies. Like what's a, what's a specialist these days and what's a generalist? Because yeah, I mean, you do a few different things, but you also do sports. You do, um, as we said, some crappy landscapes occasionally. Uh, you do some drone stuff. So technically you're an aerial photographer. Yeah. Um, sorry. Sorry, Tom. Um. <laughs> so look, I wouldn't. I wouldn't classify Nick as as a specialist per se, as in only shooting that one style, that one facet, and that's all he does over and over and over again. But he's he definitely shattered. He just took something away from. I'm just like, well, why don't we just spend the next hour critiquing me as a photographer? It seems we're going well so far. <laughs> we'll get there. Just be patient, Nick. We'll get there. <laughs> 
Yeah, but clearly, in comparison to Matt, who does everything, you definitely are more at the pointy end where you shoot, from what I see and from what I understand and what the very little that you put out into the public space that you let oh, people you've seen, see. Oh, you must have seen my website now, though. It's, it, I found it. We found it after the last I know. Thanks, Alan. Party. Thanks, Alan. We found it for After the search party <laughs> went out. Because you can classify your motorbikes as sports and you shoot your roller hockey and some other sports, but that's the bulk of what you do. And then, obviously, you are a fan of astrophotography as well. But then I don't see you out shooting wildlife and weddings and portraits. Well, well here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I bet. Have we all shot a wedding? Yes. Sadly. Yeah. Have we all shot a portrait? Mm-hmm. Yeah, once. Have we all shot sport? Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We all Have we all shot underwater? No. Yeah. Oh, um, neither have I ever. We should, tonight, we should play that again with, with photography genres. Have we, have we shot macro? Well, I don't think, no, I don't know. The, surely there's no such thing as a macro specialist. Surely. Although there's, there's plenty of, what about, uh, what's his name? What's his name? The Snowflakes guy in Canada. Well, is he a snowflake photographer or a macro He's photographer? a macro snowflake photographer. So not only is he, he's a subgenre macro <laughs> photographer. How niche are we getting with this? Honestly, I want to see that man's business card. That would be amazing. Can you imagine being <laughs> no, like... this guy, this guy's got amazing business. Someone remind me his name. He does the Photo Geeks podcast. Okay. Before the boys get too carried away with snowflakes, we're going to hit the pause button, take a quick break to jump over to Carl's World. Carl's World, Carl's World, full time, it's lit. G'day, beef hoppers. Coming to you from a freezing cold Melbourne. In fact, it was so cold this week that my pregnant neighbour asked me if the baby would be affected by the cold. I said to her not to worry, all babies are at womb temperature. So why start off Carl's useless photography trivia with a bad temperature joke? Well, because today I want to talk about an Irish-born physicist called William Thompson who created a thermometric scale to determine the temperature of absolute zero. It sounds really boring, doesn't it? But it affects us all today in a strange way. You see, Mr. Thompson found that heating a perfectly black object caused it to radiate light at different temperatures. For example, he found that at 4,000 degrees, it emitted a sort of deep red color. The higher the temperature got, the more the color lent towards the blue side of the scale. What's that got to do with photography, you ask? Well, don't those numbers ring a bell? 4,000 degrees, deep red, like the color of candlelight. 10,000 degrees, light blue, like the color of a pale blue sky. See, this is the scale that modern cameras use to analyze the color of light that reaches the sensor. We use that color scale to balance the warmth of our images. I call it getting the white right, but most of you might call it white balance. Now, William Thompson continued to work away at his lab at Glasgow University, and every day he would look out of the lab window at the river flowing by, the Kelvin River. Then... In 1892, the Queen did him a solid because he was such a top bloke, and she made him a baron. He decided to change his name, as all barons do, because he loved the river so much, he named himself Baron Kelvin, and the name sort of stuck. So next time you change your white balance, say thank you to the baron, the river that ran past his window, 
and the Kelvin scale of color temperature. Incidentally, years later, he was recruited by a man called George Eastman to serve as vice chairman of the board of a new startup British company. That company's name, Kodak Limited. So I think of him whenever I think about temperature. Like last night when I burnt my Hawaiian pizza, I guess I should have cooked it at a lower temperature. So, okay, but tell me, okay, we're talking, we're talking generals versus specialists. To me, I would say that I don't think, I don't believe in the, the specialist photographer unless you're, you hit the pinnacle of your game. And even when you get to that, you've been a generalist probably for most of your time. And then, you know, I think ultimately, I don't know the person, I don't, I'm not going to say that you, people go and pursue one thing necessarily so much as they drop everything else. That's kind of how I feel photography goes. Like if I look at myself, and I'm a bad example because I'm just scattered, but so maybe let's look at me. Let's, let's look at, I don't know, anyone else. Like, I mean, take Tom. Tom used to do like pet studio photography, you know, and he's done weddings at one point, I think. And I think he's done portraiture. And I think it's kind of you do all these things, but you drop the things that kind of you lose interest in over time. So the people who are probably listening to this podcast are still in that learning phase of doing stuff in their photography. They're still, you know, getting their head around settings. And then, you know what, next week someone's going to come out with a cool like Astro app and they're going to be, oh, Astro, Astro. And you do a bit of Astro and realize I actually don't like Astro anymore. So I'm going to do more of, you know, seascapes or, or macro or whatever it might be. So I reckon everyone kind of is a generalist until you hit that very final point where you kind of just so jack of everything else that you just do that one thing. What about from the point of view of someone that is, they've only come into photography, you know, not so let's say their photography age is quite young. And for example, Lance. Are they like dog years? Dog years. Your photography <laughs> age. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's more of a, it's a shut account. Yeah. yeah I, I, shut account. I love a this. I love age. this concept of photography age. A photography that is, age. That is brilliant. I'm jumping on that one. I've not made that up. I'm not going to claim that I made that up. I'm sure I've heard that from somewhere else. But Nick's just going like... to hold on to anything that he can use as a younger age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're still you're still very old in photography years as well, Nick, as normal <laughs> years. So don't try and pull that one. But so, <clears> something <throat> like landscapes is probably the easiest thing for someone that's just picked up a camera to get into someone that then just sticks with that for years and years and years and doesn't try anything else would you consider them a specialist or just someone that hasn't diversified oh so you're saying like just un, i want to say uneducated but like you just haven't you haven't broken out of your box you basically you're not you're not a specialist you're just not culture enough well, to have done right? anything else there are people I, out there that do that, that are like that and just do that I'm, I'm apologize for using that term to those people <laughs> i i mean I, I i i not for the first time couldn't disagree with matt more matt matt is so wrong um i'm almost lost for words this is the this is the f 2.8 conversation all over again <laughs> i mean if, if you if you think of any famous photographer they're only famous for one thing and normally they spent their entire career on that so take Ansel Adams he did occasionally did a portrait because he was poor but he only ever shot landscapes that's really all he ever did yeah that's you a think different... about Cartier-Bresson yeah, you but... think about Annie Leibovitz 
Are we talking Dorothy Holland? Lang, All Robert right. Kappa, all one genre for 30 or 40 years. Okay, but um, that's that's true. And I guess I'm, I can see you're talking professional photographers. And I guess. And you're also talking about people who, when that you're talking about film days as well here. And I reckon, I don't, don't know because I'm far too young to remember that, but. Film days, I can imagine you going, well, I'm not going to waste hundreds of dollars screwing around with different things. Whereas I'm pretty sure now if you go and buy, you know, a digital camera, you're not going to be like, oh, I better preserve the shutter count and just take landscapes. Like I'm pretty sure that every single person I've ever come across in digital photography at some point has had an interest in another type of photography. And they might eventually at the top of their thing get to, yeah. So I don't, I don't think you can use big hotshot names for this. I mean, we're talking, who are we talking to here? Well, it's true. But... Oh, look at Matt pulling the man of the oh. people. Yeah, yeah, that's oh. it. Look at Matt. him. Yeah. He's, oh, trying, to, he's trying to score points with him after he's just defended them all. So I think you make a point. Yeah, definitely the digital age has made it more accessible for people to diversify and try different things. But what People have also got money now. That, that helps. Not everyone has money. I think on the whole, people have more money now than what they would have back when you had to buy a film camera with lots of lenses and toys. I think most people who are in photography these days have got a couple of lenses. Maybe. No? Most people. I'm not saying everyone. I'm just no. saying like... Yeah, but maybe. Potentially. You, you tell me. So, Nick, in the 50s, if you had a camera, right, <laughs> would you... Would, as a hobby, would you have like a whole kit? Would you have all these different? Would you have like a macro lens? No, just I, I, stuff around? I just had my box brownie. That's all. Yeah, I yeah. See, exactly. Whereas these days, these days, you might, you know, people people invest more in hobbies. I get, the, I get the impression that people would invest more in hobbies, or maybe cameras are cheaper. So my 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 day job is a executive search professional. I sort of find leaders for businesses, and it's they have this lovely generalist. Uh, they have this lovely concept of the T-shaped executive, which is someone who's shallow but broad as far as their functional expertise, but they've got depth in one area. So they might know a bit about finance. They might know a bit about sales, but they're a marketing expert. And that's what they kind of bring to a job. And they, they're a much better executive because they've got this broader experience. And I think about photography in a similar way, which is um, – you can be a brilliant sports photographer, but it really, really helps if you know a bit about portrait photography, a bit about landscape. Um, and same if you're a landscape photographer, you sort of, you think about light differently if you've played with portraiture, you've done a bit of sports. Um, and I, I, I'm firmly of the view that, um, that sort of experiencing these other areas helps you in, in a particular domain, but you're always obviously gonna be better if you're deep in one domain. I tend to agree with that. Yeah. I reckon that the, yeah. Uh, do you think though, so you're talking, like I think the words you use there though, you're talking about like this, a description of an executive role. And in photography, that would be your description of your professional photographer. That was inverted commas, girl. Um, yeah. And like, whereas, and I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that we're just talking about like the average person, but I'm saying like, if you're an award-winning niche specialty photographer so you know you're just you're the person who does those landscapes or those amazing portraits like that's one thing but they represent like the the less than one percent like the 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 point something percent at the top 
Whereas are we talking like the advice on should you be a generalist or specialist or what's better? Or I mean, I actually kind of forgot what the question was really. Because that's there's two different. So yeah. if, we, if we if we if we think about um our beef op attendees, there'd be a number there who could probably make money from their photography. They're good enough to make money from their photography. Well, you can do it, Nick. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, a good point. And even those that aren't that good yet want to be. Yeah. Um, everyone's striving to be as good as they can be, and my argument is. Um, you should, you should, by all means, go and do a range of photographic disciplines. You'd be a much better photographer for doing that. But do spend the time in one discipline and get good at that. Um, and the more time you spend in that, the better and better you'll become. And it'll, it'll reap a whole lot of other benefits that you might not think, particularly if you're not a professional photographer. Because a professional photographer, you kind of got to go where the money goes. But as an, as an amateur photographer, you can focus on one discipline really narrowly. And actually, you know, if you want to be that snowflake photographer, you can be the best snowflake photographer in the world. I feel like it's a description of the person, not what they photograph. Like, I feel like this is a derogatory way to say, like, there's this bloke who just prances around the forest taking, like, pixie photos or something. Is it Don, is it Don Komarechka? Don Komarechka, yeah, super podcast, actually. I mean, it's much better than this stuff we produce. I mean, it's super. Um, we should just inject one of their episodes into the middle of indeed. it. Like. <laughs> but there's an example. Okay, so he, he's a really sort of interested in the te the technical sides of photography and kind of stretched himself with um, snowflake photography. And you would think it would be impossible to make a business out of snowflake photography. This guy's had a snowflake on the front page of Nature magazine. You know, th th this guy has made tens of thousands of dollars out of just taking photos of snowflakes so i would argue that if you're an amateur photographer you are much much better to take a genre subgenre and get brilliant at it than try and be a generalist yeah i, I don't I, I i love the concept and yeah. i don't i think that don was it don. yeah, don, don yeah. i think i think I'm, I'm really happy for don um and i think that that his photography sounds amazing in the snowflake field but i I'm not sure that I can agree because I think that it depending on what level you're at with your photography in the first place. So I think that if you're just a beginner, the worst thing you can do is try and well, that, start being a specialist from, so let, let, from day one. Let's break that down then. So let's talk about it on the different levels of experience because we have, if we're talking to our BFOP attendees and our BFOP groupies, they're obviously at all different levels. So starting from the bottom, someone that's just picked up a camera recently, they've taken some landscape stuff maybe some family photos what do we what would be the recommendation for them well i reckon that i, I look at it like cooking i like i think photography and cooking are, are almost the same thing in a lot of ways they're obviously different ingredients but if you were learning to cook and you are a specialist right as a specialist you go and you are learning to mimic one person's thing so something that's already been done right like Whereas like I feel as though spaghetti. Exactly. But if you were to be to take that generalist approach and learn all these different genres, and of course, at some point in time, you're going to start excelling in one of them. That's 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 always going to happen because you have a, a bit more of an interest in one area. But it, at the beginning, if you can start to generalize a bit with your photography, what you'll find is that you'll love a little bit of say macro, but then you might also love landscape. 
And what's really cool and what I think will make you unique and stand out these days with digital when everyone's a bloody photographer is going to be when you can start incorporating macro and landscape into the same shot and you can start innovating and taking different photos rather than, you know, like I don't want to rag on landscape photographers because I, you know, landscapes can be pretty. But if I was to look at like a book of landscapes, at a certain point I'm going to be like, okay, these are all different places in the world but for the vast majority, I couldn't identify who the photographer was. I, you, you wouldn't necessarily see, maybe in the top niche, again, that tiny percentage, but I don't think you can really differentiate one landscape from another in terms of the style of it. And I think that that's not every single photo, but I would say on the whole, you know, um, whereas what you can look at, I've got one guy, so there's one dude in my... Um, my student group, but he's actually just, it's not to do with, not because of, because in our student group that he's an amazing photographer. He's just a wicked photographer. He does a lot of street stuff. And he's truly found himself like a real sort of niche street photography look. And you can see a photo and, and you immediately go, oh, that's his style. And I don't think it sprung out of the fact that he went out there looking for street photography from day one to be specialising in it. I think it happened because he had a broad interest and it's just narrowed down further and further until the point that he has probably incorporated, like Nick said, different areas of knowledge and built his own, not genre, but his own style in a genre. So he was shooting other styles of photography other than street? Yeah, I believe so. I think he was shooting um, quite a, ra- a broad range and, and in, in a very subjective inquisitive way, <clears throat> you know, because I think if you specialise straight up, you don't know what you don't know. So it's easy, like I've seen people on workshops before where they're like, they're hell bent on landscapes. Then you show them astrophotography and they're like, that's my thing. And then they learn about speed lights and they're like, oh my God, drop all your tools. I'm on speed lights. Like, because if you've never experienced these other areas, you just don't know what's going to strike your interest. And I think that it's easy to get bored in photography these days with these some of these big genres, like Is- landscape. You know, I think people can... I don't know. I think the spark can fizzle out a little bit sometimes. Is there another edge to that sword if someone overstimulates himself with, you say, astro and then landscapes and then speed lights and then sport and portraiture and that, and then they become overwhelmed and they've diluted everything? Is there is that a situation that happens as well? Possibly. I mean, I, I, it's one of these rare occasions where, um, other than the cooking simile, which is just appallingly wrong, I agree with everything Matt's just said. Um <laughs> I, I, I actually actually think it's a brilliant, brilliant way to learn photography. Is almost going book on a course doing landscape, book on a course doing street, book on a course doing portrait, and you'll come out of that a much, much better photographer than if you went and did three landscape workshops, like a exceedingly better photographer. Um, and you know, I, I think this sort of um, you know go and go and um, you know sleep around a bit early in your career, do a whole lot of things. And, and learn about photography broadly before you sort of start working back back in. You'd be a much better photographer. You can also think about it, it depends on what you're trying to achieve though as well. Because I mean, think about, we was, I mean, a second ago we were trying to break it down into like, like I guess groups of people who are starting or where you are progressing your photography. But surely the outcome of what you're trying to achieve in photography makes a huge difference too. Because I'll give you an example. If you were Don, was it? It was Don. It was Don. Don. Okay. So if you're Don and you're like, hey, my jam is snowflake photography. If you do that in Victoria, there's about like a, what, a three-month window in the year that you can enjoy your hobby. 
you can't just make snowflakes. So there is a, an element of saying, well, what are you trying to achieve out of it? If you're just doing it for the fun of photography, you just want to become a really good hobbyist and like forget the money aspect of it. But just as a general, um, you know, hobby, I would say that you will, if you try and do landscapes all the time, like you go, hey, landscapes are going to be my, my thing. That's all I'm going to do. Well, there's a certain point where you go, well, okay, you've run out of landscapes to visit in your local area. Now it becomes a travel thing. And if you've got to start traveling to do it, your accessibility to find those landscapes is down. You know, it's, it becomes a costly exercise, a time-consuming exercise. And so I can see that fading off into the distance a bit. Whereas if you're someone who says, hey, actually what I really love, like maybe not mix them up completely, not like oh, I love taking photos of, you know, portraits and astro. You know, maybe you sort of go like, I like astro, landscape and nature. Like landscape and nature go hand in hand. So that could incorporate macro and so maybe it's genre, generalist, as opposed to just pure generalist, like I do literally everything. Does that make sense or is my just rambling? I'm pretty tired. (laughs) (laughs) It does. And that would would probably be the next one that we get onto because it's probably pretty rare that someone that we were just speaking of that have just picked up a camera and only just gotten into it knows what they want to do or wants to make it their profession. But once they get onto that semi-serious hobbyist stage, maybe they do have a spark and they're like, okay, I want to make this a career or I want to make money from this. Then when they're at that stage, is that when you're saying they should start to narrow the focus down? (laughs) Matt Matt and I are going to so disagree on this. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, because I've actually done it for a job. Um, <laughs> I don't just trade it for, for, for lenses of motorbikes. Um, I, I think that one of the stupidest things that I see, and I use the word stupidest, um, I see people going and trying to turn photography into a, call it a, a profitable hobby. And credit to you, I have nothing against that. I'm not one of those people who goes, oh, they're stealing jobs from photographers. I completely support it because I think if you're doing it and if you're doing good enough work to sell and people are willing to pay for it and you, you're providing that level of service, well, that, that's what the market is. But I find that I see people all the time, especially young people in school, like in year 12 um, and early university days when they're studying photography and they talk to me about going, oh, and I, I really love taking photographs of bands or landscapes or, you know, I'm really into waterfalls or these real sort of niche areas and they have this wild expectation that they're going to somehow make a career out of it. And don't get me wrong, I'm one for chasing your dreams. I mean, I quit my job on a whim before a you know, Christmas party and then went out on my own on a business I've never really done before. And I'm all for the whim, but you've got to be realistic. Like when you start trying to make money in photography, you're either going to do something you love and probably earn next to nothing for doing it or you're really lucky and you find some weird niche. But... You're either going to do um, that or you're going to have to generalise. And as Nick said earlier, you're going to have to chase the money. And that might mean, you know, I mean, look at my business. I run workshops as the majority of what I do. But most people don't know that I photograph corporate. I photograph, I mean, I was doing product photography for a plastic surgery mob the other day. Um, Like all sorts of different genres. And like I enjoy the fact that, and I get a kick out of the fact that when someone calls me or contacts me about a job that I'm like, well, that's kind of weird and left of field. I can say yes because I am a generalist and I can shift and pivot and move and make that work. 
And I find that really exciting. Like if I had to list off the fun things that I got to do last year from being a generalist as opposed to a specialist, um, you know, I, I think that makes for a really interesting and more smooth career as opposed to saying, no, no, I do, I do waterfall photography. Well, how many people are paying for waterfall photography? Like, you know, you can sell some stuff on Shutterstock for eight cents a piece or something maybe, but realistically, um, I, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's naive to think that you can start making decent money in photography if you, if you just want to specialise in some weird niche that just you love. Okay. Like snow, Snowflake Man, I bet there's only one man on the planet that does snowflakes and I bet you there's like 150,000 people who follow him now and try and do it as well and they're sitting there crying because he's already taken photos of all the flakes. You make a good point. Um, not much of one, but a good point in that area. So um, th- there's a bit of what Matt says that, that I, I agree with. I mean, first of all, like anyone thinking about being a photographer full-time wants to run out of other career options first. Thanks. Um, <laughs> um, but if you're if you're a if you're a good amateur wanting to make um, some money out of photography, then I, I I really genuinely believe this. You're much better off being really good in a narrow niche, where and for, for a whole range of reasons. One is you can kind of build those relationships that allow you to build a business, and that's hard to do if you're only doing it for four hours a week. That's kind of really hard to do if you want to do it in portrait and landscape and a whole lot of other. Do it in one area and not even just do sport. Just do, you know, I do college basketball, university basketball, whatever it is, and you be the best at university basketball in Australia. And then you get all the competitions and you make enough money out of it and you know everyone involved. Um, I think it's very different when you turn to, I want to be a full-time photographer um, and then I think you, you have two choices that the more rational choice is the one Matt's just outlined, which is get, get a number of revenue streams and do a number, a number of things. But the interesting thing, is, if you look at, I suspect the best paid photographer in Australia, Bill, Bill Henson, who's an art photographer. Now he just does one thing and has only done one thing for 40 years, which is his particular type of art photography. And, you know, he is well paid because he's built such a reputation and a brand over 40 years of doing it now you know that that's um that's a dedication to a cause that few people are going to have but you need to recognize that if you if you're really going to display that dedication and you're really good and you can find a way to finance that sort of period where you're making no money that's how you get there And, and i know if mark was on on this he'd He'd, Mark Watson, he'd say everyone through his university said, don't go and do sports photography, adventure photography, you can't make any money out of it. And then he'd say, well, I've got a house on the northern beaches now and I can pay for that. So do you think though, like, because that's definitely, like no one can argue that, but because you can say that in any field, you know, you could you could, you could put the whole 10,000 hour thing into play and say, well, do something for 10,000 hours and you're going to be a genius at it and you'll be the best in the world or whatever. But I, rec- I still I can't help but feel that we're missing the mark in terms of the type of person in generally because if if you said that everyone if everyone just decided to do what they want to do and specialize in it and just did it for long enough it's going to work out I don't think that's true I think you know Bill Henson because he made it 
But what you don't know is all the other people who have been doing it for 40 years who are now like scrubbing dishes in, in restaurants because they still do it, but they just didn't quite cut it because they weren't. There's only no, one, no. one job opportunity available for that and, and it's filled. You know. I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree, but I would hate that the consequence of um, uh, the banter between you and I is that the next Bill Henson, Michael Jordan, or whatever it is, <laughs> if decided, you're into basketball, decided it. to go and do <laughs> portrait, landscape, and whatever else, other than the sort of the niche they were going to be brilliant at. Is, because you... you know, there's someone sitting out there today that in 20 years time will be earning a million dollars a year in photography and they'll be doing it in a really fine niche and it could be someone listening to this podcast it could be us could we're it. listening well that that was look this, this was a serious <laughs> question that i was going to ask though that do we think there do we think there will be another wave of another ansel adams and another bill henson and another annie Leibovitz? do we think that or with the way the industry and technology has changed that much and, and how accessible it's become is the is is it photography too diluted for someone to rise to that level i think it depends if BFOP happens this year or not <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm certain i'm certain that nah, it, may, it may it may not be in the in the same way and it may not even be with a digital photography as we know it but someone in that genre is going to have that sort of profile in 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 10 in 10 or 20 years time and in fact with with the sort of the platform you now have it's probably a much bigger profile than it was 20 years ago well, you think about this. You think about this. How many people 30 years ago actually saw an Ansel Adams print? Right? You I might see it in an old magazine, but, you, you, you know, your average person on the street wouldn't have actually seen an Ansel Adams print. Mm. Now pretty much everyone has. Certainly anyone with any interest in photography has actually seen that because they've seen it online. And they've seen all of these photographers' works in a way that you really wouldn't have seen unless you went to a gallery. Um, or unless you happen to follow the right magazines. It's just so much more out there. Yeah, but I think that's a problem, isn't it, in a way, because there is so much more out there and that that's, in a way, I, I can't help but feel that as the tools get cheaper and the technology to manipulate what you've got in front of you gets easier, I do think that the line between that raw talent that you would have seen and that adventure you would have seen back there. Like, you know, one of the classic examples of this to me is um, you would have seen that photograph that was in the paper last year, I think, of um, the line at Mount Everest, you know, to reach the summit. Yeah. And it was like just, you know, infinitely long. Now, if you think about it, yes, of course, 30 years ago, you might not have had the exposure of, um, you know, people wouldn't have known that you were on Mount Everest, but you were still the one who actually got there. These days... People who've been to Mount Everest, are, I'm not going to say a dime a dozen because it's still a pretty epic feat. But like, it's if you met someone who had climbed Everest, you wouldn't necessarily sitting there be sitting there going, "Oh my god, I'm in awe of you." You should start doing, you know, uh, motivational speaking. You'd be like, "Oh, cool, you're an adventurer. Lovely, awesome. Was it good? What was it like?" It, it would be so much for a casual conversation. And I feel like with photography, um, and I won't say all art. I'd say photography specifically. It's become so blurry that line between someone who is genuine out there genuinely out there who genuinely gets or, or captures something that's like incredible versus that person who <laughs> i love it he's even got the boxing gloves on <laughs> <It's really. laughs> I, I i just don't think people have an appreciation for it 
like I think people appreciate photography, but they appreciate the way that they can swipe it up on their phone. And, and so the people that you're talking about um, who it appeals to, uh, the people who are really going to sit back like you, I mean, you listen to podcasts about the boring side of photography. You listen to like art history podcasts. So you're a really strange human. Um, I don't think most people do that. I, I, I don't, the names, the people who are going to be amazing in this industry in 20 years, I can't help but feel like they'll be amazing to the people like you who are the 0.02% who actually pay attention. Everyone else will be like, oh my God, did you see what's trending on Instagram? Now, I, I feel I feel like you've <laughs> got uh, some responses to this, Nick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like uh, yet again, Matt is just so wrong. So he uses this, this simile of, of Everest, right? Saying, well, it's just become a commodity. No one really knows who climbers are this, these days. You, I, I can stop a 15-year-old walking down the street and say, name me a really good world-famous climber. And they'll say, Alex Honnold. And they'll say, Alex Honnold, because <laughs> Will people, have, people have used <laughs> social media and um, an amazing sort of globally franchised firm called Free Solo about a guy climbing without a rope up El Capitan. Oh, yeah, he had a, he had a thing on Netflix, didn't he? Well, it's just like, so it's just this sort of, he's become this, this sort of broader meme within society in a way that even Edmund Hillary wasn't. Um, and, you know, like you come down half a level and people talk about Conrad Anker. So the, I'll, I'll the, Google him as well. Hold on one sec. What was it? Conrad. <laughs> come on, free solo. Um, my, but my, my point Did is... Did he also that, have a Netflix thing? Yes. Um, okay, so this is my point. People no, might know them because they're, they've got bloody Netflix series no, or they no, no, own let a me, brand let, or something. Let, let, me, let me finish. With the, the, these platforms elevate the heroes within the genre in a way that's never been seen before. So you take, you take the, the example on the Michael Jordan documentary while we were in lockdown, the most watched documentary in human history. 1.2 billion people watched about Michael Jordan. I mean, that's that's never never happened before. But when and, and, and you've got the sim, though? you've got the similar. No, but the point is, it's it's a documentary about a, a recent sporting hero, and and those those platforms are available for photographers in a way that they've never been available before. But okay, so talking about that though, because I'm a huge fan of that movie Free Solo. I've seen it a <laughs> heap of times. No, I 100 am. It's it's a phenomenal movie. If you haven't seen it, you have to watch it because it is, in my opinion, one of the greatest physical achievements anyone has ever achieved in human history. It's insane. But El Capitan is something that's been around for ages that no one had ever even thought of climbing without ropes ever. So what in photography is the El Capitan without ropes? What has oh, been done? Yeah. So this is where we need Anushka on the podcast because Anushka is really into photographers who don't use cameras. And so if he climbed a mountain without a rope, I reckon the equivalent's going to be a photographer who shoots without a camera. And that's a thing. I, 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 I think that that comparison doesn't hold, not that comparison doesn't hold up in quite the same way i mean it would be probably a better a, a better example would be michael jordan so you know michael jordan's achievements were framed within this artificial sporting contest which can never be replicated and to a certain extent sort of photography is about this moment in time that can never be replicated 
Um, and I, I, I suspect you, you don't have that sort of physical thing to go and beat. You're not running 100 metres in a time. It's about how do you do something original and something that's original to the time you exist within. Um, and you, you sort of 95% of good landscape photographers are better than the, the images Ansel Adams produced of his time. And that's because we've learned from what he did. The equipment's got better. And, and we, we built on those foundations. And I think you look at the sort of the really original work that's going on today, it tends to be things that build on that sort of 200 year history of, of photography and do things that are original and perhaps use the equipment in new ways. And oh, hold on. I feel like you backtracked on what you just last said because you were comparing the El Capitan one. No, 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 I was comparing. No, no, I was using that analogy because what it was about was somebody who was doing exactly the same thing as climbing Everest, which has become a commodity. Okay. So and then using the, the sort of modern media platforms to really amplify that around the world. And that's, that's what's open to every photographer today. So, so my question then with photography, and I've, I mean, I feel like I should change industry after this. Um, I, I'm wondering whether or not in photography, it's not, as you say, it's a, it's a moment in time, but it's not a particular feat necessarily. And what, I'm, what I can't quite wrap my head around with what you're saying is that I, I can't help but feel that the, the photographs that people are going to remember, right, the photographs that people are going to talk about, um, they're going to talk about the photograph, I feel, not the photographer. And I feel like they're, the reason they'll talk about the photograph is because it captured a moment in time that was of particular significance. So, you know, I mean, you could even use like this week's rights in the States. There will be some, you know, as, as horrible as the situation is, from a photography perspective, there will be some absolute history-making photographs taken to do with this because the opportunity is there. But no one's going to say, wow, that photograph, because that was, you know, Billy Bob photographer. They're going to go, oh, remember those riots, and that photograph will represent that time and that event. So I guess the difference for me is I'm thinking like Ansel Adams as an example. I'm not saying I'm obviously an amazing photographer, and at the time what he did with that equipment was incredible, but equally what he did the places he was, the things that he captured were things that no one else has access to. Whereas these days, there's almost nowhere in the world that you can't buy a ticket to. If you want to go to Everest, you can buy a ticket to Everest. You want to go to Antarctica, buy a ticket to Antarctica. And I just feel as though we're past the time where people people can't, there's nothing, I don't say there's nothing new to see. There's obviously combinations of things that are new, but in general, there's not many places that are completely undiscovered. You're never going to be able to take a photograph of some ancient ruins you stumbled upon, you know, that are untouched. You're going to be able to take a photograph of some ancient ruins and then have to Photoshop all the information boards out and the tourists with their phones. So that's what I kind of find hard to think about from what you're saying is I, I feel like we're, we live in a different time and those you, opportunities you, you, don't exist. You've picked, you've picked um, landscape photography, which, you know, I, I, I think could be argued is heading down a dead end. Um, I don't, I don't think that's so what... So happy that you said that. Uh, I don't think, yeah. Hi, Beefop! <laughs> <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't think that's what the, um, the next Ansel Adams is going to be remembered for. It's not going to be for taking give, photographs. Give me a genre. So, well, genre well, I, think, I, think what the, I think what the question is, to, to bring it back to someone specialising in something on that level, is, is there still the potential that someone is going to be that influential in one specialization in photography 
I think they still are. You definitely. So if, if, think if you a, stop someone on the street and say, name name a famous um, uh, famous portrait photographer or fashion photographer, they'll say Annie Leibovitz. She's still taking photos today. It's not. She's not dead. She is the pinnacle. And in twenty years' time, there'll be another Annie Leibovitz. What do you think, Matt? I agree. Mm-hmm. I think that there, I think there's always going to be people who are really good at what they do, and there's always going to be someone who's famous in every field. I mean, as we just found out, there's someone who's got like a whole business that revolves around snowflakes. I'm not saying that that those people don't exist. I'm suggesting though that in photography, where we started this conversation was if you are look if you're starting out in your photography, or even if you're an enthusiast, let's say that you haven't specialized, you're not a professional photographer. Again, inverted commas. Um. Is it better to generalize or to specialize? I feel as though as technology gets better and as the world changes, as um, people's interests change and trends happen, I think that if you specialize too much, I think that you will get bored. And I would say that there is probably one more thing in that space that you need to probably, we need to consider. And that is that it's easy for me to say, be a generalist because I have a camera bag with lots of general stuff. But if you could, I could, you know, I can take Nick's approach on this and say that, well, look, if I had a budget of going, hey, I'm getting into my photography, should I buy myself, you know, something that's going to help me really, you know, dramatically in one area, but maybe not others? Or should I buy sort of a general kind of bit of a jack of all trades kind of piece of equipment? I would probably say you'll get a lot more joy out of the specialty piece of gear. You know, if you go and buy like a, a really beautiful prime lens that does, you know, portraits really well, but doesn't really do much else, you'll get a lot of joy out of that. You'll see huge improvements in your work and that'll probably motivate you in itself. But um, whereas if you said, oh, I'm just going to upgrade my camera to a slightly better general camera for the same kind of price point, well, you won't see any real improvement. You won't get any joy out of that and it'll probably demotivate you of anything. So um, different topic, different approach to it, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's, it is personal. It's, it's person specific, but I, I think from Nick's, what Nick was saying about, you know, will there be someone super famous? I don't think they will be super famous. I think they will be famous if you knew that industry, but, uh, I don't, I think that everyone's going to, you know, already everyone's a photographer. I, uh, yeah. When you put I, a million people with one hit wonders, there's a million things to look at and people, I don't think they're going to go, Oh my God, I want to follow one person. They're going to go, I want to follow this awesome genre or this awesome uh yeah hashtag <laughs> I, I i will i mean i will i mean particularly for our beef op audience as as they're trying to think about how they turn photography into a little bit more than a hobby um that there is sort of a path you can go down particularly if you can combine something you're passionate about which is not photography so you might be into horse riding you might be into flower ranging whatever it is just something you know a little bit about and Photography is one of those things where you get to self-define what you are. You know, you, you can have taken one picture of a landscape and say, I am a landscape photographer. And that's what you are because you're self-defined. So if you're passionate about something outside, you know a little bit about it and you know how to use a camera. And, you know, it's not work to go out and take photos of beautiful flower arrangements if that's what you do and that's what you're passionate about. And you, you do that 5,000 times, you're going to get quite good at it. And you're going to get to know everyone around there and they're going to know you're the flower photographer person and you're telling me you're the flower photographer person your instagram's full of flower photographies and when it comes to the sort of australian flower ranging championship 
you're going to get the call to come and take the photos and you're going to be able to sell those to the other competitors. And that'll happen in a way that feels really natural. And you can show Matt a picture of a set of flowers and he'll go, that'll look good. And you'll be able to look at it and go, well, no, it's not quite right because the stems aren't straight and the coloring slightly wrong. And you'll see it in a completely different way. And you'll be able to build this really interesting sideline that probably pays for all your equipment and gets you to go to interesting places because you're combining it with something you're passionate about and you know about. So the um, person you're talking to there is not the person that wants to make photography their full-time source of income. No, absolutely not. This is the this is the the hobbyist. This that, is the, this, the skilled hobbyist. Yeah. So my question then is like because I actually you hit on a really interesting point there because I think that's all that's a different type of specialization. Um, and I see it, I see it a lot in underwater photography where people kind of um, that's their thing. They do just underwater photography and. There's a lot of people who are absolutely amazing at it. There's a lot of people out there as well who are not amazing at it, that they're just pretty good. But they're good enough that, um, you know, in call it, you know, big fish, small pond, you know, in your yeah. local area or in your, you know, area, you can be that person. Um, the moment you want to break out of that area, it's actually tremendously difficult. Um, you know, you want to break out into the bigger world. You want to be not just the, you know, the, the person who does that in your suburb, you want to be the person who does that in your region, then city, then state, then country. That's when it gets really difficult, probably like, a, you know, probably like sports. Um, but I think that there's a middle ground. So I think that that's not just generalising in photography. That's kind of adapting a hobby to have a photography swing to it. Whereas I think that where I'm probably talking about this, the, the specialist is not about saying I'm really interested in horse riding and therefore... As a bit on the side to my horse riding, I do horse photography. I'm talking about someone who says, I'm into photography. What should I take pictures of? Um, and I think you're right. I think if you've got a passion or if you've got a, an area of interest that is, you know, it's been something that's stuck with you for a long time, you will go a long, long way because you've already got that network of people as well. So, like, if you love archery, you know, random topic, but you love archery and you're already in an archery club, and then you adapt your photography to be part, you know, I take archery photos. Well, you've already got a market. You've already got an audience watching. Whereas if you've never done archery in your life and you just go, oh, you know what? I'm just going to start taking pictures of people with bow and arrows. And like, that's going to be a really bloody hard thing to do. You know, you, you can't just rock up to an archery club and go, oh, I want to be your archery club photographer. They'll be like, who are you? I, the, the way I took what Nick said was exactly that though. It was it was pick a hobby that you're passionate about. Yeah. And oh, so I'm agreeing with Nick. Yeah. yeah. But I'm saying that that's a level of generalization that but I, it's not, it's not like a, it's coming from a hobby approach and adapting photography to it, as opposed to looking at photography being the first hobby and then finding like, cause you can't have a hobby in landscape, you know, like, no, no, but generally anyone that's yeah. got anyone that's picked up a hobby of photography would have some other interests somewhere. I don't I don't know that that's true. You're not I, sure? I, I, no, I, and I don't say that in a I don't mean that in a negative way, but I think a lot of people who come on my workshops um, as an example, they a lot of them are people who have um, had wrong careers um, and that career has probably absorbed a lot of their hobbies a long time ago. They had kids, they had all these things, they lost that maybe that spark for that passion or whatnot, but maybe they used to have a camera a while back and now they want to get back into photography. Um, I also think a lot of people, I think photography can be a hobby in itself for a lot of people and it's sort of their creative outlet. Um, I, you're, I think all three of us sitting in this virtual room um, are people that come from, I'll say, more adventurous backgrounds. 
you know, like we all enjoy doing other activities. Um, but don't, um, I wouldn't underestimate how many people don't necessarily have um, other interests, especially ones that can translate to, to a creative field like photography. So are you telling people to stop? stop treating photography as a hobby forget about photography find another hobby and then come back to photography and then turn it into a specialization that's right just leave drop your camera leave it no not at <laughs> all not at all i'm just saying that this year i'm just saying that there's uh i think that there's two different ways to look at it because i think if you're someone who's already got like a really intense interest in something then um brilliant adapt your photography to that and you're gonna have a lot of success because you're already passionate about it. it's like having a job isn't it like if you get a job in a new area that you've got no interest in well you're probably not going to go far. But if you've already got a, a, you know, you already love archery and you go and work in a bow and arrow factory, well, you're probably going to have a ball. It's, it's your domain. So I'm saying that I agree with Nick that if you have a, a hobby or, or a real vested interest in something already, definitely you can specialise till the cows come home and that will probably serve you well in many areas. It'll keep you interested in your hobby as well as photography. It'll probably create some sort of revenue stream you will specialize in it because people around you will pump you up because you'll be that person who can take photos of it and people want that. And so you'll be put on a bit of a pedestal in that industry. That happened to me with diving. I was the only person in my little dive group who, who took photos and all of a sudden everyone's like, Oh, can I use your photos? I want to show my friends what we do. And so they almost self promoted you. And then it got to a point where that obviously gets noticed when there's enough noise on the other end of the spectrum. If you picked up your camera to say, this is what my hobby is going to be. I'm not sure where to go with it. Should I generalize? Should I specialize? Well, if you, if I asked you, what should you specialize in? You said, oh, I'm not too sure. Well, then the answer is don't specialize. Before we go any further, we're coming into the heart of astro season. It's one of my favorite times a year to go out and shoot to capture some amazing images. So I had a chat with Nigel from Camera House about some of the things we can do and get that might help us create some better astro images. Nigel's a man that knows things, so we asked him about them. This is Nigel's knowledge. Nigel, we're fast approaching astro season. Can you tell us a little bit about why winter is better for astro? Yeah, obviously um, winter is a great time. The Milky Way is up, um, which comes up from about April to October. Um, uh, you tend to get a much clearer night. You don't get that um, rising heat from the Earth, creating a... a, a um, uh, a not so clear night sky um, so um, great time to get out there with your astro gear and of course the, the nights are longer you don't have to wait so late for it to um, be dark um, as well yeah especially down here and obviously the southern states around Victoria Tasmania some nights it doesn't get dark till after nine o'clock that's right yeah so yeah. what are the best situations for people to go out if they're looking to, to start their astro adventures um Obviously, a clear night. Um, although, don't get too stressed if there's a bit of cloud about, because often um, you can be surprised how it does clear during the course of the night, and you can get some great shots. But um, if it's a totally grey night, then you, you, you obviously stay home, um, get away from the city. Um, so the, the less light pollution you can get, the better, and um, and it makes a huge difference. You can get less light pollution. Yeah, most definitely. And obviously, I guess if we can get out during the new moon when there's no moon, that kind of helps to brighten course, the stars yeah. up a little bit as well, doesn't it? If someone's looking, yeah. they haven't really done much astro or any astro at all, what are the must-haves? What are they? What equipment do they need to be able to go out and start capturing astro? Well, down here in the southern states, um, 
I would certainly think about um, uh, a, a beanie, a jumper, and some fingerless gloves, um, and a chair. Um, yeah. uh, but uh, apart from that, you need a camera, and obviously, um, an SLR camera is the better way to go. Um, so, um, well, you, ne- you need an SLR camera. So, uh, an SLR camera with a wide-angle lens, um, with a remote control, and a tripod. They're the essentials that you must have. So then if we're looking, if we, we've started a little bit and we're looking to advance and get start to get better Astro stuff, what are some of the things that we can look at? We've already got the SLR, the tripod, and the wide-angle lens. What could we look at to make our Astro shots better? Yeah, so you can get specific lenses for Astro. Um, the wider the the wider the angle of the lens, the better, and the faster the aperture of the lens, the better. Faster aperture for low light. Um, so there are sp- some specific lenses that do that really well. Um, certainly Samyang has got a good reputation in the Astro market. Um, and they have some manual focus lenses, which are for a 10mm um, APS-C, which is equivalent to about a 15mm in a full frame, um, they're around $700. Um, a 14mm full frame is F2.8 is around $600. They're manual focus, but for Astro, you can um, you don't need autofocus because you focus manually anyway. Um, but you can also use them for landscape as well as Astro. Um, you might not want to spend that money on specifically an Astro lens, but you want the widest possible angle lens you can get so you get as much night sky as possible. Um, other things that you obviously um, mentioned tripod before, um, uh, you, you perhaps something that's reasonably lightweight if you're going to carry it for some distances to get to the good spots. Um, a ball head might be a little bit easier um, um, and obviously something sturdy. Um, although cameras often have timers built in, it's really handy to have a, a, a um, cable remote. Not an infrared remote, you must use a cable remote. Um, it's just easier than using the controls inside the camera to do that sort of thing. Um, so there's, there's sort of extra things you might want to look at. You should have a lens hood on the camera, um, if possible, just to reduce stray light. And you can get things like light pollution filters. Um, Hoyer do the Starscape and Hayter do the clear night. And they reduce the color cast you get from light pollution. Light pollution is the city light. Um, uh, and, and they, they tend to sort of have a yellowy, greeny hue to them. Uh, helps reduce that, and increases the contrast a little bit, so that you get a. Um, if you get uh, in an area where you get some light pollution, you get a little bit more um, brightness to the stars. Um, and of course, um, especially going up with friends, um, take, don't take a, a normal torch. Get, get yourself a red torch, um, because for one thing, it, it um, helps maintain the night vision um, and uh, secondly it won't affect people's, other people's images so much if you've got a red torch looking for the settings on your camera so I guess they're, they're mainly the um, essentials that you, you would be looking at getting um, as well as a few um, if you want to get right into it and it's a great you can get some really stunning images with, with the restaurant and take it just take a normal um to light up the foreground as well so you can get a tree in the foreground or something like that and do a bit of light painting with it as well 
Yeah, there's some good points there. And it's certainly one of my favorite types of photography to do. It is mind-blowing when you, especially when early on, when you capture your first couple of really well-exposed and well-captured shots, when you first see them on the back of the camera, you get so many wow moments from Astro. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant, yeah. And if people want to find out more about what we've just spoken about, they can jump on to, is it camerahouse.com.au? Yeah, um, we're Croydon and Ringwood Camera House in Melbourne. Um, and um, so you can just jump onto well, just Google us, Croydon Camera House or Ringwood Camera House, and you'll find us. Um, and uh, we'll be able to help you with any gear and use fuzz or pop in. And we'll get some people out there shooting some Astro. Nigel, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. So it sounds like to me as well, despite the disagreements throughout the conversation, that pretty much across the board, you're in agreement that in the early on stages of just picking up a camera, just getting into it, diversity is going to serve people best. When they get to the skilled hobbyist stage, if they do have some other passion or hobby that they can tie the photography into, then specializing in that would be a good option to create some interest, uh, sorry, to create some revenue, to create some income, to pay for the hobby itself and to keep you interested. But then swings around again if you're looking at making photography your full-time gig besides the fact don't try but if you do try diversify the covid safe economy <laughs> oh, I, 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 I would still come that's the only bit where where, where i don't necessarily disagree with matt that the commercially sensible route is diversify to an extent you know even wedding photographers tend to be portraits and some other things as well but Let's not let's not kill the uh, the dream for the next Bill Henson or Annie Leibovitz. Yeah, if you want to be that, you got to specialize. You cannot be a generalist. No, true. Is it hard? It, it surely it's harder these days to specialize as a professional. I I think it swings and roundabouts. Definitely swings and roundabouts. Because I would look at a lot of our BFOP photographers, and I would say that they are on the whole they are specialists. Um, I think that can make your life a lot harder because, you know, it's like any business. If you rely solely on one revenue stream or one genre, the moment that something in that area shifts, you are completely vulnerable to it. So, you know, a classic example is, um, you know, I'm obviously involved in the dive industry and do underwater photography. Um, and look, you know, look at the COVID thing that shut down the entire, you couldn't go outside. Now, if you were into macro photography, um, you know, and you were doing snowflake or man-made snowflake photography, um, perfect. You, you know, you're very safe from, from that. But then when it comes to summer, you've got no snowflakes left. So I think being a specialist in, in professional photography, you can go, probably go, you've got an opportunity to go further. You can go to the Olympics, but you need to remember that the Olympic team is only made up of X amount of people. And I, I want to be the, the wet blanket and say that not have a backup plan, but I think you need to have other things to support you until you're on that team. Because if you just go out there and say, no, I'm going to drop everything. I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to buy a camera and going to, that's what I'm going to be. It's, it's getting harder and harder to be that person. And I okay. think that if you miss it and you don't have anything else on your side as a, as a professional photographer, well, you got nothing. Okay. So what I would go, what I would yeah, say ahead. though is, is, is so I, I I do principally take sort of sports photography and principally motorbike photography. But if you look at what I study, so if I'm watching a a YouTube video or I'm 
you know, watching Creative Live course, it's almost never on sports photography. I'm kind of interested in color grading or lighting or, um, and I actually try and avoid looking at too much sports photography because I, what I find is it tends to I end up with um, a derivative sort of approach. I'm like, oh, well, I'll try and reproduce that. Whereas if I can look at these other aspects and start thinking about, well, how am I using color? And how am I thinking about color grading this image to make it distinctive, which is an area not a lot of sports photographers do. Then I, I start bringing some real, um, some real uniqueness to the work I'm doing. So the, the generalization is kind of back to that T-shape, that sort of bringing in ideas from other genres into that area of specialization, I think is really interesting. Um, and you see it all the time. I think. Yeah, it brings up a point that I want to ask about. And there was also a point earlier on that I'll come back to as well. But in saying that, then talking about the T shape that you mentioned, Nick, if if there is someone there, one of our beef op attendees that have only ever shot portraits, or they've only ever shot landscapes, whatever it is, and they do want to generalize a little bit more, how what, what what's the advice you would offer you would give them in how they identify what other photography genres to shoot that will help the genre that they love the most get a beef up oh look i mean it's it's sort of that i always rant about this which is every time at beef up we get the person who's they've used all their beef up dollars to buy the three landscape photography courses with Vika and tom putt uh, and then they've got like $100 left over and they're forced to spend it on whatever it is. You know, some dreadful sports photography with me or they're going to have to go go and do awful sort of one light sort of uh, strobe photography with somebody else. And they come out going, oh, my God, that was brilliant. And they would literally probably have paid not to go and do that. But they were just sort of like, well, I'm here for the weekend. I have to go and do this. Um, and they didn't know how good it was going to be until they went and did it so um you know i i would just force yourself to go and do something that you weren't terribly interested in and nine times out of ten you'll find that really interesting particularly if you get a good instructor you'll be re- you'll find that really interesting and you'll learn something so um I, I i don't think from outside it's terribly easy to see whether you're going to like a particular genre until you've given it a bit of a go what do you I think about yeah, I reckon I'd add to that. I, I, I definitely agree. And I think that I see it a lot in um, in my workshops where people kind of go, oh, especially if they're given a gift voucher for a type of workshop, they're like, oh, I normally do such and such, but that person gave me a voucher for this. Um, I think to make that easier, I think you can also try and frame up the your interest and the, the workshop that you're going to. So as an example, if you really love studio photography and you are going on a landscape workshop, Rather than going, hey, I'm going to clear my mind and just go into an open mind about landscapes, um, if you find that difficult to do, why not try and frame it as in, okay, how could I apply this to landscapes? Or how, sorry, how could I apply it back to my studio photography? So um, as an example, I mean, I think that composition principles are pretty universal. They go across most genres. Um, so if you try and apply what you know about composition and portraits into this landscape workshop you'll probably suddenly find it quite interesting so trying to find those things that that glue them together and also maybe how you can combine them yourself so um an example even with like astrophotography i love astrophotography and i think that 
astrophotography and um, and studio photography go hand in hand. I mean, the principles of how you light a, a studio and how you light astro in terms of the balance of light is, is essentially the same. It's also the same as underwater photography. Um, all you're doing is exposing a background and then lighting a subject. And I think that if you went into it with this intention of saying, oh, cool, I really love, you know, taking beautiful photographs of people, you know, in studio and lighting them. Well, the moment you're in an astro environment, why not go, okay, I'm going to treat this like old tractor that's my subject as a person's face. Like how would I light a person's face? How would I treat this like a studio? And then, yeah, let's also then apply the background being the stars. So um, I reckon that if you start to do that, you'll also connect dots between different genres. Um, and, you know, one thing that craps me off more than anything in the world is when I hear someone say, oh, this, you know, the settings that you use for this genre are such and such. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it happens all the time. People, except for Astro, because Astro is kind of standard, but like people kind of give you this like, oh, but for portrait photography, this is what you use. And for landscape, this is what you use. And it's good to have a start point, but um, why not mix it up? If you normally love landscapes and then you're shooting portraits, well, why not try using or translating your landscape settings into portrait and, you know, don't blur your background. Keep your background. Work out how you can declutter that composition the same way you need to in a landscape. Um, I think that can that can keep the interest up. And I think it'll also maybe spark a new interest because you realise that most of these subjects that we photograph have a lot more similarities than they do differences. Mm. Anything to add to that, Nick? No. Nah. Can, we, can we finish this on a high note then? Well, yeah. Do, so do we, think, do we think we've given people some good advice on diversifying nah. or specifying? Well, Nick, sort of, I think he's, I think he's leading some people down the garden path. Um, In what way? Well, just setting everyone up to be like superstar heroes. Um, I just don't want to crush dreams. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> oh, the, the, one, the one joy of my job <laughs> is I get to see people who have been super successful in life and there's patterns, right? And probably one of the most um, enduring patterns is they stuck with it. Yeah. yeah, they're often not the most talented, but they kind of stuck with it. So can we agree on this then? Can we agree that if you're trying to be, let's call it, because success is different for everyone. If you're trying to be successful in, um, in this in a professional sense or a recognition sense, so I'm going to say from, for an external purpose, you know, you, you want to be, I don't know, whether it's you know, famous or financially successful from it, being a specialist is really the only way. You're never going to be like the world's most famous general photographer. Um, absolutely. I think that being a general photographer might help you in your specialty with your T-shaped thing that you did before. Um, that said, if you're not in that space, if you're not looking to make this into a profession, you're not looking to be, you know, the Olympics of photography, you're not looking to win the, the, the Pano Awards and get gold medals and stuff, and you're just saying, how should I invest my hard-earned dollars in my hobby? Um consider that um, every genre that you master is going to help improve a different genre and by trying lots of different things and being a bit open-minded to the generalist approach, you'll probably find that it has, I think, a longer-lasting, more fruitful hobby because whenever, you, you know, something's not working in a particular area, whether it's, um, you know, geographic or whether it's, you know, weather-wise or whatever, you've always got something else, something else to turn to that's of interest to you. And I think that consistency-wise, you'll stay a lot more engaged. That's my piece. Nick, do we agree with that? Except for the last bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love asking well, uh, that question of Nick. 
like on principle, I disagree with Matt. Um, what I specifically disagree with here is just that, that there'll be a group of people who get their energy from being brilliant in a narrow field and they may be amateurs and mm. that's okay. Yeah. Um, and you know, they, they, you know, they can get up at four in the morning to drive 500 miles to photograph an ant with a dewdrop behind it, whatever it is. Um, that's awesome. Um, and I'm always like really surprised. I mean, I, uh, I, I follow some of the, um, the camera club groups and I'm always surprised about the quality of the work that comes out in some niches. And it, generally when I look at it and go, oh, that was amazing. And then they go and look at the person's work. That's what they've been photographing for the last four years. You know, ants with dewdrops behind them. Um, so I think what Matt says is correct, but I don't want to dissuade those people who have just got awesome in, in one area. Because you're personal, genuinely awesome. Yeah. It, it, it is totally personal as well. You're right. Yeah, there's it's, not there's yeah. not going to be one blanket rule for everyone. No, clearly. No. I just I, I just I fear that sometimes people get caught up in one thing because they were exposed to it and they become yeah. like, oh, I went on a workshop that was for portraits and now I love portraits and that's what I love and I'm going to pursue it. And they buy a lot of equipment, spend a lot of money, and then they get exposed to something else and they're like, oh my god, I didn't know that I loved whatever it is. And at the beginning, you don't know what you don't know and. Um, as Nick and I both said, I think you learn a lot from everything else. And so, yeah, I guess you might, I guess maybe you say we go, you go through phases um, or different phases in your progression in photography will, will push you into different areas. But if you're asking yourself the question, should I do this? And you don't have a solid answer yourself. I think that personally, the answer is generalize until you find something that you absolutely just want to do don't try and force a genre because mm. it's a trend or because and i think and, and i think one thing that you did both agree on was that things that you'll learn from one genre you will be able to take into other genres 100 percent. yeah definitely well. 